Welcome to Talent Matters, the podcast where talent, skills and grit take centre stage. I'm your host, Owen O'Donoghue, and this is episode four, and I'm delighted to be joined by former Ireland Leinster Harlequins, and a little bit of Munster uh, Rugby International, Mike Ross. Hey, Mike, welcome. Thanks, Owen. Good to be on. Good to see you. So the whole idea with this podcast is that we're looking at the combination of talent, skill acquisition, and then just determination and grit. So I suppose to kick off, we'd like to kick off with the type of kid you were growing up. What were your early talents? Um, early talents. So I grew up in a dairy farm uh, down in North Cork, a little village called Ballyhooley. So I guess my early talents were picking up heavy things and putting them down again because <laughs> uh, my father had me working on the farm from, from a young age, you know. So we would have had about 80 or 90 um, milking cows at that time. And so there's always something to do around the farm to keep them busy. And that definitely instills work ethic, doesn't it? And I suppose a certain a certain discipline, early mornings and... Yeah, because the cows don't take a day off, you know, so you, you kind of have to be at it every day and they require constant care and maintenance. Uh, and th- like a, a farmer is probably, you know, it's about 50 professions rolled into one. You have to be a vet, mechanic, you know, um, animal husbandry, everything, you know, so it's... Uh, it's it's an intense lifestyle, and um, there's probably there's probably a reason I didn't take it on after I finished college. And what were you like in school? I was pretty good, you know. I was I was a good student. Um, probably relied a bit too much on natural ability rather than huge amounts of study. You know, certainly um, certainly my college days. You know, but uh, I yeah did did well enough in leaving cert. Um, Probably the highlights, my, I got like an A1 in English and B1 in biology and things like that. And then when I went to UCC, I did um, bio, uh, biotechnolo- biotechnology. That's what I did. Uh, plant microbial biotechnology, to give it the full phrase. But in, in first year, you kind of do a generic kind of intro to biology and science course. And then you kind of um, streamline after that. And in terms of sport growing up, what were the kind of what was your involvement in in sport as a kid? Uh, well, look, uh, I, I grew up with you know I had three brothers, so I always had a lot of competition on the farm. Whether it's you know it depends what was on TV at the time, right? So mm-hmm. if Wimbledon is on, we're all playing tennis out in, out in the yard, and uh, you know if if the you know the All Ireland Finals on, we're playing football, or you know if if the Ireland I remember Ireland getting Italia ninety, you know it's one of a core memory there, you know. So I remember you. Know, playing for hours outside but um my dad took me in when I went into Fomoy rugby club when I was around 11 mm-hmm. and um never looked back after that you know because probably wasn't the most mobile kid I, growing up I'd like a stone for every year you know so rugby was a natural fit for me yeah were you, were you big for your age yeah I was always big for my age very good and then in terms of when there appeared to be kind of a possibility of, of rugby being more than just a pastime. When did that kind of dawn on you? Uh, it kind of, so I guess I went from Fomoy Rugby Club, uh, played played up there from under 11s to like under 18s, played a few few teams, a few games at the first team when I was 18. And then I started in UCC and went along to UCC. I got stuck in minor B, then following week played minor A, then into the junior team and then to the senior team. So it happened about space of six weeks. So I started twigging me, well, might be actually okay at this, you know. So um, because I didn't, I went to St. Coleman's College in Formoy, which is uh, not a rugby school to put mildly at the time. 
they would have won the all the, the hurling all Ireland twice while I was there. You know, I think the entire school from junior start up got a, a bit loose <laughs> in the local nightclub. But um, yeah, I went to UCC and that was kind of like the real kind of commencement of rugby education. I had some great coaches in there. I'd like Brian Highland, who you might know. Oh, yeah, yeah. So Brian was one of my first coaches, a guy called Peter Melia, who I actually met him a couple, couple months ago. He's coaching um, Christians now. And uh, my first year there, we won the Students European Cup. And it was funny because it was um, the Ulster 20th anniversary of them winning the, he- the Heineken Cup, I believe. And uh, we were presented on pitch at halftime. It was the 25th, 25th anniversary. So we were presented on the pitch at halftime after winning that morning. So, yeah, that was that was good. And I played there for about four years. Went to Cork Con after four years. And um, I was kind of in and out of the Munster training setup because when the internationals go away for Six Nations, they need bodies to fill the training. So I went along there. And I was, kind of, I was doing well enough in the scrummaging sessions, you know. Um, obviously, it was a hell of a step up. But... Ultimately, <clears throat> I think I was 26 and um, I'd been training with Monster quite a bit and eventually had a chat with Declan Kidney. Declan said that, you know, look, we don't have a contract for you. Uh, so I went away and got an agent, a guy called, and um, he happened to be Dean Richards' agent, a guy called Justin Page. Mm-hmm. And um, it just so happened that Harlequins had, who Dino was coaching at the time, had just got promoted again after being relegated the previous year to Premiership. So they needed cheap players. I was a cheap player. So it, Dino, Dino took a punt to me, gave me a, after a three-month, gave me a three-month training contract and went on from there. Yeah. And you represented Harlequins like 80, 84 times or something? Yeah, around, around, the, yeah, around the 80 mark, yeah. So it, was, it really was the making of me because, you know, I was um, playing every week. Mm. You know, so it was kind of a quick hurry up in the rugby education. You know, my, my first professional preseason I probably dropped around 13, 14 kilos. You know, it was a bit of a shock to the system, but it really was the making of me as a player. What was the culture at the club like at the time? Obviously, there's a bit of change going on if they're just, I suppose, in a bit of a rebuild pattern. Yeah, it was great. Um, really, really enjoyed it. I made some, you know, lifelong friends there. I still, still, still guys to be in touch with today. You know, I only played there for three years, but I guess the, the difference would be between, say, Premiership clubs and the provinces, right? So, a lot of the players, the provinces grew up here, so they already have their friend networks established and built, and they, they have moved away from. Whereas you go over to the Premiership, and the club are your friends because you, you don't have the same network that you would otherwise. So that kind of creates a lot of, um, it's very good for team building, creates a lot of tightness. So, um, yeah, I re- really enjoyed my time over there. And then the opportunity came up to, to come back home with Leinster. Yeah, so I think this was, was this was probably, this was, um, I think around, around February uh, 2009, I was, I was in negotiations with Harlequins, um, for renewal so I wanted to say there I was playing every week I picked in the premiership team of the year like the season before and but you know I knew the world cup was coming up and it, it was difficult very difficult to pick for Ireland if you weren't based in Ireland because there was always a, like a week before the official release window and the club the premiership clubs were obliged to release you that you know the, some tra- the proper training camp would happen so you couldn't go to that so you miss out on it and 
you know, I remember the time, you know, Cheka came along to me and made this pitch, and I was like, going, well, okay, but you've got two good tight heads already. I mean, they'd stand right and CJ Vanderland at the time, so I was like, you know, where's where's room for me in this? And um, but you know, I knew that if I wanted to play for Ireland, I had to move at some point. You know, Leinster wouldn't have been my home province, but they were going well. They had an exciting team, you know, like Brian O'Driscoll, Gordon Darcy, Shane Horgan, like it's smorgasbord of talent there so it was obviously and <laughs> so it happened so I signed for him and then a couple months later Bloodgate happened you know that that infamous game where yeah yeah so I played in that for Harlequins against Leinster so yeah. uh yeah of course I wanted to win because it's no good to me if Leinster won it at that time but um yeah so when you came back um what was the I suppose the difference when you think about leadership and you compare coaching styles from Harlequins to Leinster, what was that adjustment like? It's different, you know. I mean, like so if you take Dean Richards, for example, very old school kind of guy, right? You know, uh, English legend, you know, played I don't know how many times for England as a, you know, take no prisoners number eight. And, um, you know, he, he, he was very good for what that team the team needed a hard char- character in charge and then I went from him to Cheka who was also a tough character in his own right probably a bit more vocal and more emotional than um, Richards would have been but again exactly what Leinster needed at the time and then after Cheka came Schmidt a bit less vocal but no less hard-assed so mm-hmm. it's uh, I, I think you know if you're um, if you're running or you're leading a professional rugby team, you, you have to, it's a, it's a tough job. Mm. You know, you have to, you have a lot of very motivated, very opinionated, prickly characters, you know, very, a lot of alpha males, you know, so you have to be, kind of be able to, to deal with that and um, make, make bend them to your will. So yeah. it, it does require often a tough character. Which, which environment did you prefer? The Schmidt environment or the? Yeah, probably Schmidt, you yeah. know, um, thing I liked about with, with the Schmidt environment that I was never left to any doubt as to what was required whereas some of the other coach environments are a bit more woolly mm. in their requirements where like I probably thrive on clear direction and knowing exactly what I need to do so what did Joe want from you Joe, Joe like yeah I've probably told the story a couple of times before but you know start of the season Joe calls us one by one to his office and he goes alright so what are you going bring to bring to the team and I being, you know, well, you know, um, I'll scrummage for you. Joe goes, great. What else? You know, so, uh, you know, I'll hit rocks. Great. What else? Uh, lifting the line out. Okay, what else? So, you know, he was very demanding about what he wanted his players to do. But on the flip side of that, if you did what he wanted and you, you met his um, KPIs, shall we say, then he'd no problem picking you. Mm. And... Talks was about getting into the Ireland setup then initially. Yeah, it, it, it was difficult enough at start because obviously John Hayes, you know, monster legend, Irish legend, you know, over a century, one of the first players hit a century of caps. And then behind you, Tony Buckley, who had like, you know, physical gifts I couldn't match. You know, the guy who was like one of the biggest humans you'll ever meet in your life and he's so strong and powerful. But put together a good run of form for Leinster. You know, and 2010-2011, probably what got me into the Irish squad in Six Nations, so that 2011 were those, were those back-to-back Claremont games that we used to have, used to have in the Highland Cup, where I did played well, and um, 
I made my first six. So I, I'd been capped in 2009, uh, went on a summer tour to Canada and the United States. But it, that was without most of the Leinster players because they are still celebrate. They're still deep into the Heineken Cup, so they're still probably celebrating after winning it. That's the first time they won it. But I had to wait two years to get my next cap, and my first cap, then Six Nations cap, was against uh, Italy in 2011. Very good. And who was coaching Ireland at that stage? I was Declan Kidney. It was Kidney. And Gert Small was the forwards coach. And what were your what was your relationship with Declan Kidney like? What was it your view on his? I suppose his coaching style. He was pretty good. He's more of a kind of emotional coach. He was very good at man management. You know, um, a lot of the technical, like he obviously have the way he wanted the team to play, but a lot of technicalities have been delivered by the, you know, like the Gert Small and Les Kiss underneath him. You know, so um, I personally prefer Czech or Schmidt style, but you know, uh, Declan was a very su- successful coach in his own right. You know, Hind Cups Monster Grand Slam in two thousand and nine Ireland. So. So when you think back on some of the challenges you had to overcome during the rugby career, what were some of the, the tougher moments for you? Uh, probably the very start imposter syndrome, you know, because um, I hadn't played any representative rugby, you know, up until becoming a professional. You know, I hadn't played school. So there's a lot of kind of rugby IP, shall we call, that, that I had to catch up on, you know. Um, so, that you know, that was tough. It's like pe- people calling, I know, you know, um, different calls that they would have known from schools and I just didn't know what they were you know so that <laughs> that took a bit of uh, catching up on and then you know I mean I moved over to London by myself um, so it's kind of sink or swim you know I, I, I knew this was his last chance saloon and if I didn't make it that was it there was no more second chances so that focused the mind a lot like I said you know, I'd like I um I lost a lot of weight in that first preseason, but then I did exactly what the SNC coaches were telling me to do. So that's what I did, and it worked. Um, then you know there's a few challenges. You know coming back. Uh, when the first year I came back, um, I played a lot of games at the start for Leinster, but then I made a mistake in a Highland Cup game, gave away a penalty that cost us a match, and. I was kind of on, on in the doghouse a bit from that point on. So I was going from a, a time when I, I was playing every week in the Premiership to being picked on the bench or not at all for the big games. And, you know, that was very tough to take. And my first, first after about six months of this, I was like, I made a mistake. I need to go back to the Premiership, you know, where at least, you know, I, I'm a rugby player, not a rugby trainer, you know. Yeah. And if, if I'm going to not play for Ireland, I might as well do it, you know, playing for someone else. Okay, so um, really demoralizing to yeah, feel that your face yeah. doesn't fit anymore. Yeah, it, just, you... it just yeah, it just felt like you know um, uh, there wasn't a spot. It wasn't. It was a a road I shouldn't have taken. But mm. then you know, I think Checker announced he was going to leave. Um, I said, right, I'll probably hang on, see what this new guy Schmidt is like, and uh, yeah, bet good thing I did. Brilliant. Um, when you compare. Um, I suppose Joe Schmidt, who's known for being really into the details and very structured and everybody knows their role and better deliver on their on their role. And you compare then to how you see Ireland being coached now with Andy Farrell. How would you compare and contrast? I, I think the structure's still there. You know, so Faz is take. I, I, I was lucky enough to have Andy for a season, but he was a, like the defence coach at the time, right? Um, so he's taken what's... Um, 
was there already the structure and he's kind of layered probably a bit of demand management on it, the, the emotional intelligence on top of it, right? Because if you look it seems at, like a really happy camp, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Where it's probably you know sometimes you know if you if you if you, it could be a very tough camp for you if you didn't know your detail if you got something wrong, you know, it was pretty unforgiving that way. And what well, that was fine. That's what we needed at the time, and it drove standards. Right. And, you know, the results in the Joe kind of speak for himself first ever win over the All Blacks, you know, Grand Slam in 2018. Uh, but, you know, every team has to move and evolve. And sometimes you need an, a change to bring you on to that next level. And I think, you know, he's, Faz has come along, he's taken, you know, the great underpinnings that, you know, Kidney brought and then Joe brought and he's built on top of it. And, it's, yeah, um, talking to the lads, they seem to be having a lot of fun in there as well as working hard. So over the course of the career, you you won two Six Nations, two European Cups, uh, a couple of Pro 12s as well in yeah. their Challenge Cup. So remarkable career. But rugby can be unforgiving. Talk to us about the transition from professional sport to, to life after sport and how you manage that. Yeah, so my last season, uh, I, I started getting injured a bit, you know. Uh, our last couple of seasons started getting kind of hamstring injuries that never bothered me before, you know. I think, you know, time kind of catches up here. So I was probably I was 36, 37. And um, so I, I got injured in a game uh, the day Ireland beat um, New Zealand in Soldier Field, actually. It, it, was, it was I was really close to being there because that week before Finlay Bealham had gotten the head injury. So I thought I was going to be traveling over for it. And then he, then he recovered, passes HOA, damn him. And, uh, <laughs> would have been a nice one to be would, involved would, in. It would have been a lovely one to be involved in because I played in a 2013 game that didn't happen where we almost, yeah. 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 Um, so I, I got injured against Sebre of all, all teams, you know. So um, did the hamstring. And then, you know, I got, um, got injured and then I was coming back. And then in March... You know, because I was pushing, like, where's my, like, I thought I might get another year out of this. I thought I was good enough for another year, you know. Um, how old were you at that stage? I was uh, just turned 37, you know. So maybe I was deluding myself a little bit. But, I, I like, with Stuart Lancaster in, he was really driving the fitness standards. Probably the fittest I've ever been my last season, you know, because of the intense training that we put he put us through. But um, ultimately, Leo Cullen sat me down and told me that, sorry, there's no contract there for you. Right, so that was in March. The contract is up in June, and uh, that tends to focus the mind wonderfully because you know I, I had wife, two kids, mortgage, all that. You know, and you know rugby pays you well, but it doesn't pay you enough to not have to work again. So I had to go find a job, and the difficulty with that was, well, all my peers were gaining ten or fifteen years experience in the industry. I was, you know, knocking a ball around, hitting people with my shoulders. Mm. Yeah, so. That's where I met you, because <laughs> uh, that's right. Yeah, so um, I, I mentor Michael Ryan. Um, still, still talk to him, and he recommended you as someone to go talk to. So I don't know if you remember we sat down in your office over on um, down Mount Street, back down Mount Street, yeah, mm. and going through the CV, and um, ultimately that conversation led to. Or I remember you, you're the person who put me in. You ever think about sales? And I was like, no. <laughs> so well, you, you said, well, you like tech, you know, people know you, could be a good fit, and. Uh, Ultimately, that's what happened. Very good. And the the tricky thing for a lot of people retiring or moving from professional sport into the corporate world can be how 
you kind of, you know, you identify yourself as a as an athlete or as a professional rugby player. Did you struggle with that at, around that time? Did you did you find a lot of your identity or how you valued or how you viewed yourself was tagged to what what you did? It, it was to a certain extent, but the thing was, I I'd been in the real world before. Mm. You know, rugby. You've worked in a lab. I worked you? in a lab. Yeah, it's the most so boring rugby, place in the yeah, world. <laughs> yeah, before I turned pro, I was like working in a food lab. You know, leveraging my degree. You know, testing food for bacteria counts and you know, mm. i was just like you know, ever have that like worry yourself it's like is this it you know is this yeah. what i'm gonna be doing you know so um, did you enjoy it or did you find it boring i found hated it yeah hated it you know um but i needed to make some money you know so and that was that was something i was qualified to do mm. um, so it's kind of different to the people that have that have come up through you know, schools into the academy system who haven't kind of yeah. been in the real world. So you, you probably had that insight. Yeah, that's why I hung on as long as I could. Yeah. <laughs> you know, not back to the real world at all. Yeah, well, transition. Do you know what I found the most difficult bit was um, just leaving the WhatsApp group. That is tricky, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You know, you get removed from the WhatsApp group and some of the closest friends you have in the world, you know, you're suddenly, like, they're, they haven't gone away, right? But they're they're in the rugby bubble. Right, they're they're doing their thing, and you know, you know, they're going to come out of it eventually, and you'll be there waiting to say hello when when that happens. But um, yeah, that 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 camaraderie, that fellowship that you have, that was that was really difficult to leave, you know, because mm. now you hear you, that a lot, don't you? Yeah. People miss the dressing room, miss the crack, miss those moments. Yeah, I mean, I there there's who's, who's said wrote a very good article on LinkedIn. I'll try and think, but he says um, professional sports people are junkies. Right, um, you, 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 the, 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 but the four horsemen would be like dopamine, serotonin. Um, there's another two ones I can think of in a minute, but like you know, you win a game, you serotonin hit. You know, you do a good hard session, dopamine hit. You know, something goes well on the pitch, you get a hug. You know, it's just yeah, all that stops. Mm. You know, so often it's an emotional roller coaster. Being a professional rugby player, there's a high of the win, and then there's the low of the loss. But then you go for that one mood all the time and it takes a bit of time to get used to that. Mm. So when you, when you, th- and what about the physical part? When you think about it now, do you, do you miss the gym sessions and the preseason or? Not the preseason, no. <laughs> yeah. No, it was nice to, you know, to knock a bit of the flab off after, you know, four weeks of holidays or whatever it was, but it was very hard going. You know, sometimes you'd be, you're like you're doing two or three gym sessions a day and fitness and running for an intense six to eight week block and it just takes its toll mm. but um took me a while to find something else to do i tried tried the whole middle-aged man liker thing <laughs> this is the mammal the cycling uh it was fine it was nice but it just didn't suit my schedule you know because often the lads be going out on a sunday morning and i'd be coaching at that time you know so i didn't have time to go out and come back and it's not a lot of crack doing it by yourself, so I, I need to find some some sort of team element. So about two years ago, I was out with um, Jack McGrath, and his buddy is a was a brown belt now, black belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, and he was were on, on 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 for a few beers, and he was wearing the ear off me, guy called Daryl Hulan, wearing the ear off me. Come on, come on, give it a go. You know you love it, and uh, eventually I said, fine, I'll do it. So I went in. I did love it. So I've been doing it ever since. Um, just got my blue belt uh, last June. Brilliant. Yeah. So uh, and my professor is a guy called Chris Bow, 
and he's actually Tommy Bowe's second cousin. So there's a bit of a... That's random. Yeah. And actually, there's been a few uh, rugby players who have taken up jiu-jitsu uh, over the years. Anyone you want to call out? Yeah, Matt, <laughs> Matt, well, Matt Stevens. Matt Stevens did it for a while. Hask uh, as well. Did, did Haskell do it? And, yeah, uh, and there's, so. there's, um He talked about signing for Bellator at one stage that he was going to have a pro fight, but... Yeah, yeah another, another, another prop, Duncan Bell. I used to play for Bath. Uh, I think Duncan, Big Duncan, actually won um, the UK Blue Belt division there a couple of years ago. So seems to seems to suit us. Very good. And in terms of, I suppose, how you how you structure things now, what have you taken from the sporting career and brought to the business world? I think resilience. Resilience is a big one. You know, um, working in sales now, you get told no an awful lot more than you get told yes. So it's the ability to, to you know, uh, deal with that setback and just keep going. You know, I think discipline... Um, keep doing the things that you need to do you know keep turning up keep turning up and eventually something will happen for you um, and yeah. in terms of in terms of other projects you had the book come out a couple of years ago have you have you got a couple of other projects going like that in terms of some writing or some involvement with with coaching or what 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 are the other things that are keeping uh, not, you busy apart from the day job not so much in the writing but yeah i do a bit of coaching so i took my son's team from like under eights up until under 13s and then they kind of dispersed a bit so i was my son went to back to rangers which is a great little club um i do a bit of coaching i'm kind of scrum gun for hire i do a bit, a bit of work at wesley college you know with their sct team and a bit with their jcts so just you know I don't, I don't tend to stray too far outside of my core competency, but uh, yeah. I, I do enjoy. It. I do like working with with the younger younger kids and um, seeing lights light bulbs come on in their head. I do enjoy that. Very good. And you had some some thoughts on uh, scrummaging and had the scrums being refereed at the moment. What what were those thoughts? Um, I I just think that you know there's a lot of perception goes into it. You know. Um, sometimes if you have, if you have a reputation that your side gives away penalties, it tends to self-perpetuate, you know, I mean, I remember scrummaging against some of the big South African packs and they could be as legal as hell, but because it's South Africa or Italy and well, if they're good scrummagers, they couldn't be giving away penalties. It must be the Irish guys, you know, so which used to infuriate me quite a bit, you know, and I, I think we've been a bit unlucky in the last couple of years with some of the decisions have come and gone against us for key moments I mean I look at that quarter final against New Zealand and I haven't often seen you know um, an Irish scrum smash a New Zealand scrum like that and not get rewarded for it so it's been you know a bit of a bugbear in mind yeah but you're pleased with how the team are going at the moment no more than the rest of us oh, absolutely I think you know they're playing a great brand of rugby um, they look to be really enjoying it and um, you know like obviously Johnny retired this year but Crowley stepped into his boots pretty well so far, so we'll see how how that evolves and goes. Yeah, interesting, interesting few weeks ahead. So uh, I don't think we'll make any predictions in this uh, in this conversation, but definitely fingers no. crossed. Yeah, well, look, I, I think it's probably ours to lose. You know, lads will hate me saying that, but you know, if we play to our best of our ability, teams are going to find it hard to live with us. Definitely. What's next? Any 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 big things on the horizon for you? Uh, not really. Um, I'm like I'm, I'm working in a 
multinational company called Amdocs now. So working working on the telco side, uh, spend a lot of time out with my main customer, be Vodafone, out in South Mountain View in Sandyford. Um, just usual things, you know, life. Life, yeah. whiskey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I'm into my whiskey, and uh, yeah, that. I don't know if you ever gone to that whiskey live thing. That's um, it's on the RDS. I think in was it May or June, but it's always a good way to want to go to. I um actually invested in a barrel about three or four years ago, uh, from Dingle Distillery. Mm-hmm. You know, so I was myself and a few other lads went in on one. So I don't think I'm gonna make any money on it, but I'm gonna certainly enjoy drinking it in twelve or so years. Very good. Mike Gross, thank you so much for coming in. Thanks very much, Sean. If you enjoyed the podcast, please follow us on Instagram at talentmatters underscore podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube at talentmatters underscore podcast. And if you want to find Mike, you can find him on Instagram at Mike Ross IRL. Great. See you next time.